So we're going to go through some introductory notes. I got PowerPoint this morning, which I'm going to do my best to remember. I'm going to use it to, to lead me here. Okay, see, I started too early already. I wasn't even supposed to go there yet. <laughs> Let's start with uh, the author. All right, so we're starting this new series through 1 John, and um, the author, even though he doesn't identify himself in the letter, the author is John, John the Apostle, whom Jesus loved, and it shows that I have a lot of this in your notes as well. Um, one of the reasons that we know that this is John um, sometimes people in, in biblical scholarship, they like to compare external evidence and internal evidence. Um, I, basically what that means is, is there evidence outside of the biblical text that helps us understand maybe when this was written or, or who wrote it? Um, but the more important evidence is the internal evidence because that's from the Word of God itself. And there's a lot of internal evidence in this letter of John here that shows that it is clearly the same writer as the apostle who wrote the Gospel of John. And so in your notes, it'll show themes, some parallels here. The first parallel right off the bat is creation. Um, it says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, 1 John 1, 1 and 2. Well, if, this is very similar to the Gospel of John, the introduction, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that is not come into being. So we see that this word of life, this word of God and uh, the beginning, right? So just like how John in his gospel points people, his readers back to creation, so too here in this letter, he does the same thing. What was from the beginning? And he's paralleling it with uh, his gospel. Another theme, and these aren't exhaustive from, from these scriptures, I'm just using some as examples, but is light. 1 John 1, 5. This message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And in 1 John 1, 4 and 5 and verse 9, it says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. So God is light, there is no darkness, but also we see comparison between walking in the light as well. 1 John 1, 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's 1 John 1, 6 and 7. Uh, and... Um, it says in, I know it's cut off there, sorry, but this is uh, 1 John 2, 8 through 11. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you because, in, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother 
is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If we say that we have... Oh, well, there's... I guess that my last verse is cut off there too, but um, this is in comparison with John 8, uh, verse 12, which says, Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Another comparison, and I'll move quicker here because they're kind of cut off, so we're not having them all anyway, but another comparison is truth. John talks about truth, the truth being in us or not in us, depending on how we live or how we see sin in our life. John 1, 8 through 10, and this is compared to uh, the Gospel of John 8, 44 and 14, uh, 16. Then we have a helper, uh, and I'll just, I'll give you these scriptures here now. First uh, John 2, 1, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And John fourteen sixteen, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, which is the same word, by the way, advocate, that he may be with you forever. And it says in 1 John 2, 27, As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, it, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Um, and in our passage from John below, it talks about how the teacher, the one teaching us, would be the helper. It would be the Holy, he would be the Holy Spirit. Can we uh, go to the next slide? We're not... Then we have obedience. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then the last one, which I'll skip to here, which is important. Yeah, it's on. Can we go to the next slide? purpose. First John says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And then John twenty thirty one. both of these, by the way, at the end, the end of the gospel and the end of the letter, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Some other parallels, though, that I don't have listed here but are in your bulletin 
in John, with John's gospel and his letter are the themes of love, eternal life, being born of God, becoming children of God, the judgment of Satan, the world-hating believers, passing out of death into life, Jesus laying down his life, believing in the name of the Son, the Spirit of truth, the Father sending his only begotten Son into the world, having overcome the world, and water and blood. So it's very clear that this was written, uh, you would say, in connection with the Gospel of John. And it was the same writer, the same author, John the Apostle. Uh, So that's the author. Those are some themes in the text. We also have a structure to the text as well. Um, The structure of the text looks like this, where you have the prologue in eternal life in uh, chapters 1, 1 through 4. We have uh, the idea of uh, us not practicing the truth and, and denying our sin making God a liar when the truth is not in us. Then in uh, 2, 3 through 17, we have a new commandment. In 2, 18 through 27, John talks about the Antichrist. Then in his longest discourse, his longest section of 2, 28 through 3, 24, Paul speaks about abiding in Christ with confidence. Then we have anti. Then John brings up antichrists again in 4, 1 through 6. Then we have God's love and ours, which relates to this commandment that John gives back in chapter 2. Then we have another portion where John talks about us not making God a liar in 5, 6 through 12. And then in his conclusion, he speaks again about the importance of believing for eternal life in 5, 13 through 21. So that's our structure for John. Uh, it won't be broken up this way for our teaching through it, but this is uh, one way of looking at the layout of uh, the letter itself. Uh, then we have the date, the dating of the letter. There are two different uh, understandings of the date. There's uh, within conservative uh, Christian circles. Uh, in the liberal circles, they can just keep pushing the date as far back as they want because they don't think John wrote it anyway. But to those of us who... Uh, believe in the word of God. There are two dates. There's an early date of pre-70 AD, which would probably be the mid-60s, and then there's a later date. Um, I know your bulletins, it says between 80 to 95 AD, but I'd even seen some go as far as 100 AD. But I wanted to show the comparison between the two dates to, to kind of talk about something here. If you look at how people are coming to these dates, here are just three ways. One is John's writing from Ephesus. That's based on uh, tradition. Um, John writing at the same time as the gospel. It's just based on the parallels between the two. And then if you look at the last one for each, it's John dealing with proto-Gnostics and Judaizers or John dealing with proto-Gnostics with Jewish influence. Um, now, basically, what I want to show is regardless of the dating for the letter, whether it's an early date or a late date, we are going to be dealing with the same problem. The problem is going to be twofold. John is going to be writing against opponents who are what we would call Gnostics. 
John Stott defines Gnosticism as a broad term embracing various pagan, Jewish, and semi-Christian systems which did not come into full development until the second century. The notion that matter is inherently evil was both Oriental and Greek. It led to speculations about the origin of the material universe and how it could in any sense have been created by the supreme being who is good. So regardless of the dating of this letter, Gnosticism had yet to be fully developed, but at this point, its early influence was being felt from both the East and the West. So people in the first century could have been influenced by this proto-Gnosticism, And so they might have agreed that the man Jesus had a body, but they would have denied that it could have been identified with the person of the Son, the second member of the Trinity. They would have believed that God, who is spirit, could not become incarnate and certainly could not have had a body that was subject to suffering and pain. And so John battles this false teaching in passages like John 1, 1 through 4, which we'll talk about next week but also John 4.2, where he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And John 5.6, or sorry, 1 John 5.6, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. So, um, the, the first issue is Gnosticism, but one of the other issues in the day, which is related, we'll talk about related closely with Gnosticism, is the uh, rise of anti-Christian Judaism. John is specific in his letter that the Antichrist is the one who denies the Messiah. John 2, and 23, he says, "'Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ?' This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Here's the thing. When we look back and we look at the culture of the time, um, being pagan or, or Greek, there wasn't this idea of denying a Messiah. There would have been a denying that God could become man, but denying the Messiah... That was a Jewish problem. There would, have been, there would have been Greeks that would have already been influenced by Judaizers. There would have been Greeks um, and those in the Roman world, Gentiles, who would, have, um, who would have maybe converted to Judaism. But even then, the idea of denying the Messiah, that is a problem of anti-Christian Judaism and the Judaizers who would influence the early church. And so it seems that John's opponents would have been those falling under the influence of early Gnosticism and the Judaizers or Gnostics with Jewish influence that denied that Jesus was the Christ and denied that uh, God came in the flesh. And so these two heresies historically are actually closely connected because both reject that Jesus was God incarnate. Both reject that God 
came in the flesh. They reject the claims of Christ. And what we have is early Christian history recording that a lot of Gnostics resulted from heresies led by heretical, uh, quote-unquote, Christians from Jewish origins. So there was uh, Corinthians, a type of Jew uh, derived from Corinthus, who boast of circumcision but say that the world was made by angels and that Jesus was named Christ as an advancement to a higher rank. Then there's the Nazarians, Jews who confess Jesus as son of God but whose customs adhere to the law. Then there's the Ibionites, Jews who believed Christ and the Holy Spirit were created in heaven. Christ lodged in Adam first, and this is what he did during his visit in the flesh. And that's very Gnostic thinking. Basically, uh, the idea that the human flesh was just almost like, um, anyone all see uh, Men in Black? Okay, you know in Men in Black, you have the human, and there's just an alien inside his head. Right, when they open, they do the autopsy and the alien. That's kind of like Gnostic thinking. It's just a shell. It's not actually God. It's just a shell holding the spirit of God. But that's, that's anti-biblical. It's anti-Christian. And so from the second century, which would have been just a few years after John wrote his letter, regardless of the date, it would have been within a generation or so from, the first, from John's letter, Church Father Ignatius said that the heresies he faced, which were Gnostic and various forms of Gnosticism, had strong affinities with Judaism. And so he said there are basically two sides of the same coin. A closely allied form of Gnostic Judaism is suggested, which taught by myths or fables, the genealogy of angelic beings, which were intended to bridge over the chasm between God and the world. So at this point, Jews who rejected Jesus thought that God still needed to mediate through angels and that God could not come in the flesh. Now to, give, now to back up and give a little bit of history, because that's not from the Old Testament, so how did this idea kind of come into place and become popular within Judaism? Well, much Jewish thinking throughout the Roman Empire would have already been influenced by Greek philosophy and pagan religion because of Hellenization. This is where Greek and pagan culture had kind of spread through uh, the ancient Near East, which is like Israel, uh, the Roman Empire, uh, up to the Asia Minor, and then even down to Egypt. And there's a lot of uh, Jews living in these areas. And um, there were many sex, many different distinctions, you could almost say many different denominations of Jewish thought in the first century. And even these uh, denominations, so to speak, would have been split by deciding how much Greek thought would be allowed to mix with the Jewish religion. Particularly, it was those Jews who were of elite standing that allowed more Greek influence. These Jews who then rejected the Messiah then lost all discernment and were under God's judgment. We see this in passages like Matthew 23. In fact, they showed that they would even partner with the world against the Messiah and his followers, trying to fool Jesus with the Herodians. We see this in the gospel. And we also see at the Passion event 
that they were willing to work with Rome in order to destroy Jesus, even saying that they had no king but Caesar. Then false prophets and false messiahs arose in the first century, leading many people astray, even some from the church who apostatized. We see Paul talking about this. We see this in the book of Acts. We see this in Galatians with the influence of the Judaizers. This is what the book of Hebrews is even about. Don't go back. Don't apostatize. And so now what John is dealing with is you have a first century mixture of paganism, Judaizers, and apostate Christians. And I think it's actually from this mixture that a lot of the anti-Christian Gnosticism really begins to fully develop going into the second and third centuries. The problem is not simply that these heresies exist, but that they exist in such a way to lead people away from the truth. And so as John compares light and darkness, the movement of Scripture is always from light or from darkness to light. And I wanted to kind of show how this works here. We see this in creation. Creation moves from evening to morning, from darkness to light. The Old Covenant is a form of darkness brought to light in the New Covenant. The Old Festivals began in the evening, but Christ comes in the morning. Darkness to light is the idea of mystery to revelation. The veil has been lifted. We can look upon God through His Son, Jesus Christ. But for the Gnostics and the Judaizers, the veil still remains. And they choose to have that veil still there. They want the mediator. They want the angels having to mediate. They want the veil in front of them. It's like an adolescent who refuses to grow up. They refuse to see the fullness of God. They refuse to mature into the new covenant. They want to hold on to old creation, and so in so doing, they deny the new creation that comes through Jesus Christ. And so think about the seriousness of the problem here. This is why John says, you know, they claim to be of us, right? They claim to be Christians. They claim to be part of the church. They claim to be of the same covenant. They, say, they claim to have the same God, but they refuse to give up their Judaism or they refuse to give up their pagan philosophies. They refuse to become part of the new man in Christ, Jew and Gentile united in this new covenant. And so no, they want to pull back. They want to pull people back into pagan philosophies or they want to pull people back into, old, into the old covenant, back to circumcision, back to God speaking through angels instead of through his son. And so what ends up happening is you have the influence of these pagan philosophies that they would then claim work fine with the Christian faith. See, the problem that uh, a lot of the New Testament authors are facing is, is not just people flat out denying Christianity. It's the holding to Christianity and Judaism or and paganism at the same time. And 
And you can imagine these influencers, these false teachers, these false prophets that John talks about in his letter coming in and saying, look, you don't need to deny Christianity, but we are helping your Christianity by bringing in bits of our philosophy. Now we look at that, I hope, and we on the outside objectively look at that and say, well, that's, that's stupid, that's foolish. But I will say that in a country, and I'm talking about us today, in a country full of nominal and cowardly Christians, that is exactly what's happening to the church. We have allowed bits and bits of the world to tell us what is truth, what is Christianity. We allowed the world to tell us how to love. We allowed the world to tell us how to be kind. We allowed the world to tell us how to be empathetic. We allowed the world to tell us how to be moral and to teach us pagan ethics. We allowed the world to teach us how to be sexual. We allowed the world to teach us how not to be racist and all-inclusive. We allowed the world to tell us how to raise and educate our own children. We allowed the world to tell us how to vote. We allowed the world to tell us what it means to be compassionate. We allow the world to tell us when to obey and when to keep our mouths shut. We allow the world to tell us where and when we're allowed to preach the gospel. And we're even allowing the world to tell us what to say in that gospel and what's too mean. We allow the world to tell us over and over and over again. And here's the problem. Now, we cannot even tell the difference anymore. We don't see. We don't discern We don't know. And so we have become foolish to the ways of the world because we can no longer discern the difference between modern paganism and biblical Christianity. Today we see this is big with critical race theory in our culture. We see this with the rise of cultural Marxism. No one's going to ask you to become a Marxist. And there's no teachers that actually say that they embrace critical race theory. But what they'll say is that, hey, there's certain truths from these philosophies that will work well with Christianity. There's certain truths from these things that, hey, you don't have to deny Christianity, but if you embrace some of these things, it'll enhance your Christianity. It'll make your Christianity look more tolerable. But it's a lie. And it's a lie that many Christians can't see because they don't have a biblical worldview. And it's a lie that's easy to believe because the alternative would look intolerant. And nobody wants to look intolerant. And then, when some of us do come to discern the difference, we are so fearful of looking weird or unsocial, or even mean, that we are more comfortable just staying worldly, or silent. It'd be better to listen to the world than to risk losing my job. It'd be better to listen to the world than to risk looking like a fool, or like I hate science. It'd be better to listen to the world than risk looking intolerant. In fact, now we teach that the more you look like the world, the more people you can reach for Jesus. Because you know what? They'll look at you and say, hey, he's just like me. And now we can build a relationship. 
And so certain Christians get asked to be on CNN or to write articles for the New York Times. And you know why? Because they're not a threat to the world. And they're not a threat to the world because they think the same way. This is what John was dealing with. And this is what we are dealing with today. John's letter is full of application and doctrine to help us abide in the truth and not give in to the lies of the world. There is no common ground between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. There's no common ground between light and darkness. In fact, the word tells us that light has nothing to do with darkness. And so I pray that as we go through this letter of 1 John, as we teach through it, that we would see that 1 John teaches us how to spot the darkness in our culture and the darkness in our own lives as well. And that we would work to bring those things into the light by abiding in Christ Jesus, our God in the flesh. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. 
But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For, they had, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. Excuse me. <clears throat> if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son, and the Son and the Father. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Excuse me. Oof. We'll edit this part out. <laughs> this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you but as his anointing teaches you about all things and, his, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is, has taught you, you abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin 
also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know... The Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and is now already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for the love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love God, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us 
that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God and God and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make a request for this. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols.